You know, as uh, the, the theme or the, the title of the series is The Bible is Not Gray. And of course, all of this is, if you know from the very beginning, but for the benefit of you who may be our guest today, uh, several months ago, a movie was released entitled um, About uh, the uh, Fifty Shades of Gray, uh, which is a, a, a pornographic film, and it gives a vulgar and a misrepresentation of the ideal concept of marriage and the sexual relationship of individuals. And I just felt that it would be time for the church of all places and of all institutions that holds and should uphold the proper attitude uh, about the sexual relationship between a husband and wife. It's the church. But oftentimes uh, we are hesitant to mention the word sex in church. It's kind of like the proverbial elephant that is in the room. Uh, everybody knows the elephant is here, but nobody wants to acknowledge it. And so if we pretend that it doesn't exist, then the elephant will go away. And so many times we've gotten the idea, well, we, uh, to say the word sex in church is taboo. You, yeah, that's just something that you should not do. But I don't know of a better place to say it than at a church when it is presented in a biblical way and in the way that God had intended. And so I've uh, selected four sermons that we're looking at as the Song of Solomon. Does God have anything at all to say about love and courtship and romance and marriage and sex? Yes, he does. And it is uh, told to us in the Song of Solomon, the Old Testament book, the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is God's sex manual to guide a husband and wife in the sexual experience uh, of intimacy, sexual intimacy. And uh, there's nothing in the, in the Song of Solomon of which we should be embarrassed. There's nothing here of which we should be ashamed. This is God's book. The Song of Solomon is as much inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit as any other book of the Bible. I believe that this book I hold in my hand, the Bible, my copy of the Bible, is divinely inspired and that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if for me to accept the Bible as the divinely inspired word of the Lord should also remind me that that includes the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is just as divinely inspired as the Gospel of John or Matthew and Mark and Luke or Genesis and Exodus or any other from Genesis to Revelation. It is all divinely inspired and that includes the Song of Solomon. So what we are saying about the Bible not being gray when it comes to sexual intimacy between a husband and wife is something that God shares with us through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he impressed upon Solomon uh, to, to write this story about the love that existed between him and his, his wife, uh, Simuleth. So we're going today look at chapter 8 and uh, begin with verse 5. And uh, I'm reading out of the New American Standard Translation. Uh, if you're interested in reading all of the Song of Solomon or any portion of the Song of Solomon, I would encourage you to get a more modern translation such as the New Living Translation of the Bible or the NIV, the New International Version, or the Living Bible, either one. But something that would be uh, contemporary, something that would still be accurate to the, to the teachings of the Scripture, but would help you to understand the Song of Solomon is, is, is in poetic form. 
And uh, so you, uh, and I've put at the bottom of your bulletin three resources if you're interested uh, in, in knowing a more complete study of the Song of Solomon, any one or all three of those books, I highly recommend. And, and I have needed help in understanding what Solomon is saying. And these individuals who have written these books give us great insight. The Lord has blessed them to help us to understand and to get a grasp on what Solomon is saying and Shumaleth and, and the others that may be speaking in the book. So I highly encourage that. But let's look at Solomon, Song of Solomon, beginning with verse 5. The title of the message today is Staying in Love for Life. Beginning with verse 5. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on my beloved? Beneath the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she was in labor and gave you birth. Put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as severe as Sheol. It flashes like flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers overflow it. If a man were to give all the riches of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. We have a little sister, and she has no breast. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will barricade her with planks of cedar. I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal-Hamon. He entrusted the vineyard to caretakers. Each one was to bring a thousand shekels of silver for its fruit. My very own vineyard is at my disposal. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and two hundred are for those who take care of its fruit. Now, in the English language, we have only one word to express affection for one another or for things, and that is the word love. That's the only word that we have that uh, really describes it, affection or love. But we use the word love for just about everything. We, we love mom and dad. We love our wives. We love our husbands. We love our children. We love school. We love our jobs. We love our car. We love to take a vacation. We love baseball and apple pie. We love football and we love basketball. And on and on we go. We always talk about love, loving this, that, and the other. But in the Bible, there, there's more than one word uh, for love. And I'm not going to go into all of those because of our time. I want to go immediately to the one that I want us to focus on today. And in the Greek language, it's the word agape. A-G-A-P-E. A-G-A-P-E. The word agape, translated love in the Bible, is the word that speaks of sacrificial love. The, the, the giving of love for an individual unconditionally, unlimited, continually, uh, free, freely, giving it freely. Agape is the word love that is used of God's love for you and me. In John 3, 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. And what did he give? His only begotten son. Why? So that whosoever would believe on him would never perish, but have everlasting life. The word love there is described and defined in the verse. For God so loved the world, you and me, that he, what? he sacrificially gave his son for us. And so in that one sentence described for us how God unconditionally, 
unselfishly, generously, no limit whatsoever, continually showers his love and displays his love for us through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Paul says God demonstrated for his, his love for us in that while Christ was, uh, uh, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So visualize in your mind and also as you read in the scriptures the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. How much does God love us? He loved us so much that he was willing to give up and sacrifice his one and only of a kind son so that you and I might be forgiven of our sins and have everlasting life. Now that same word agape, sacrificial love, is used also in the Bible to speak of the kind of love that we ought to have one for the other as friends, but especially as the relationship of a husband and a wife. As a husband, if I love my wife, then I love her unconditionally. She's not going to have to meet requirements before I love her. I love her the way she is. I, I love her unlimitedly. I love her continually and, and sacrificially, even to the point that if it became necessary for me to give my life for her, sacrifice my life for her, die for her, I would unhesitantly Without inhibitions whatsoever, I would do so because I love her. She does the same of me, and hopefully your spouse does for you as well. This is the kind of love that is described in the Song of Solomon that existed between Shumileth and Solomon, her husband. So true love is an act of the will in the heart of the person who is displaying that love. True love loves in spite of, not because of, and love is not a theory, it's a practice. I know that love is a noun, but it's best understood in terms of actions. There's a song that we sing uh, about our love for the Lord, I love thee, I love thee, and that thou dost know, but how much I love thee, my actions will show. That is a song that we sing to the Father, to, to God. But it is also speaking of an attitude that we ought to have one for the other, husband and wife. I love you, I love you, and that you know, but how much I love you, my actions will show. So although love is a noun, it is defined and demonstrated by actions. And this morning, I want us to look briefly at eight attributes of this agape kind of love. The first thing that you'll notice on your bulletin is this. And that is the stability of love, the stability of love. Going back to uh, chapter 8, look at verse 5. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Now, it is believed, and I, of course, of time, did not have the time to go back and read other verses of Scripture, but just to remind you that if you read the first four verses of chapter 8, they have been kind of on a second honeymoon. They have already married at this point. They've already known each other in a sexual intimate way. But uh, Solomon comes to her and says, let's take a little brief vacation. Let's go to the mountains. She, she's an outdoor girl. She's a country girl. She loves the outdoor. And Solomon is sensitive to this. And so he says, let's take a little trip to the, to the hill country. Let's go to Fredericksburg or somewhere down there, you know. Let's go to the hill country and let's just have a good time. Just you and me. The kids aren't here. The parents aren't here. Just you and me, honey. Just us. So let's take a little trip and let's go to the hill country. And that's what they've done. And while they've been there, they've shared their intimate love with each other. And so she is happy as they return. Visualize in verse 5 that she's riding along with her husband Solomon. 
She's snuggled up close to him. She's leaning on him. And she is remembering what a wonderful experience it was to go on this little trip to the hill country and to express their love once again to each other. Shulamith is speaking and she's reminiscing about this. In fact, it is believed that verse 5 is a repeat of what she said back in chapter 2 and verse 3. In chapter 2 and verse 3, she said this about Solomon. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In his shade I took great delight and sat down, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Now, an apple tree is a, a, a tree that produces delicious fruit, nourishing fruit, and a lot of it. And uh, there's, But not only do we look at a tree, not just an apple tree, but when you look at a tree, what do you, what do you think about? You think about stability. You think about, think about strength. You've ever tried to push up against a tree? Did you move it? <laughs> no. It takes a huge machine to do that or a chainsaw to, to move a tree. A tree symbolizes stability and strength. Uh, and, and so she's saying, my husband is like a tree. Uh, and he's... Um, uh, a wonderful, wonderful, he's strong, he's strong, he gives stability. You know, one of the things that a wife looks for, a woman looks for in her marriage is stability uh, from her husband to live in a relationship, to have a home that is stable. That's also beneficial to children, uh, that, that their home life, their mom and their dad are married and they love one another and they unashamedly, without hesitation, express that love for one another. And, and, and that builds a sense of security and stability in the heart of a child. And she's talking about sitting in his shade and taking great delight as she sat down under his shade and his fruit was sweet to her taste. And, and what he's talking about, he, she's not saying that he's a tree, he's saying that he's like a tree. And when uh, he, she sits in his shade, she's talking about the intimate relationship that he, that she and Solomon are enjoying. They're having sexual intimate relationship and she says, it's a delightful experience, even at our age, after we have been married this long time, it is still something that we enjoy and that it is beautiful. Love, she says, it, it gives stability to us. And, and, it's, and it's very stable. Now, when you look around the world, and especially at Hollywood, and anything that Hollywood produced, it seems that love fails. But let me remind you, it is not love that fails. It is marriage that fails. There are failures of marriage, but not the failure of love. God's kind of love, agape kind of love, never fails when it's given a chance. Paul uses the word in 1 Corinthians 13 where he says love never fails. The Greek word for fails there can be translated collapses. And what he's saying is love, and he's talking about agape kind of love, God's kind of love, the kind of love that you're to have for your spouse, never collapse. It never falls down. It never lowers itself in value. God's love does not collapse or fall down. And when we choose to love as God loves, we will not fail. Because God never fails, and God is love, and neither will his love fail. In wedding ceremonies, and I was privileged to conduct a wedding ceremony last evening, I said to the young couple that I was performing a wedding for, uh, reminding them about Genesis, uh, where God took a rib from man and made a woman and presented Eve to Adam, 
And he said, now this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And I remind the couple, as I do in just about every wedding ceremony that I perform, that God took woman from the rib of a man, not from his head, lest she should be tempted to dominate him, nor from his hand, lest he should be tempted to use her as a tool, nor from his feet, lest he should be tempted to walk upon her, but from his side, that she might stand with him in full equality of, 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 of leadership, and from near his heart, that he might love her. And if they will exercise and practice the God-given kind of love, then their marriage will never fail. If a marriage fails, it's because, it's not because love failed, it's because the couple refused or failed in some way to practice the agape kind of love that God intended for them to have. A second thing, not only the stability of love, but the security of love. Look at the first part of verse 6. Put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Now, in ancient times, when a king signed a decree, he would have his seal, his insignia, uh, printed on the document, and it would become law. Uh, sometimes you, you hear the expression, the, the law of the Medes and the Persians, over in the book of Daniel, I think it's chapter... 6 or 12 or 12 or 6, one or the other. But in the book of Daniel, uh, there's a reference to the law of the Mede and the Persians. That expression means because back in those days, the Medes and the Persians, whenever the king issued a decree, it was unalterable. You could not change it. You could not uh, keep it from being fulfilled. Once the king sealed it, it was the law. It was the order. This was something that could not be changed. And so to put a seal on something gives authority and authenticity. It would also, um, uh, it, it would show the, uh, the ownership of someone. And uh, you, 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 we even do this today. We uh, inscribe our names on our property um, so that we can identify it. Uh, it belongs to us. And she is saying, uh, Solomon, and I, I visualize her riding in the royal chariot and she's leaning up against him. And, and she is saying in verse six, uh, uh, put me like a seal, where? Over your heart. And then he said, put, put your seal on, on, on your arm. Uh, one uh, expressing uh, affection, the other one suggesting protection of security. And um, again, uh, the, the seal would be a, a public indication of authenticity. When uh, Jesus was crucified and laid in a tomb, uh, they had a seal put on the, the stone that sealed up the, uh, the, uh, the tomb where he was buried. It was the royal seal. It was not to be broken. If you had, uh, and that one of the reasons why those uh, soldiers were so upset was because the seal was broken, they would be held responsible for the body of Jesus, they would have been executed themselves. And, but uh, he had a seal put on that tomb, and it was not to be disturbed. There was security there. Uh, again, referring to a wedding ceremony, when you give a ring to your spouse or your husband or your wife, that ring is a symbol. Uh, it is a visible symbol. It's, it's where everybody can see it. When you, when you look at a, a man or a woman's hand on their, on their left hand, on their ring finger, what does that say? That's, that says, I belong to somebody. I belong to my wife. And her ring on her finger that I gave to her likewise says that she belongs to me. 
She is not her own. I own her, and I own, she owns me. And, and there is security in this. And, and there, there is security in the kind of relationship that uh, Solomon and Shumileth, uh expressed toward one another. Love that is known for devotion and strength is a secure love, a love that will endure. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that true love, real love, agape kind of love is secure. It will endure. It will endure the good times and it will endure the difficult times as well. The third idea is the strength of love. And this is found in the last part of verse 6 where she says, For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as severe as Sheol. It flashes like flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. And so here he is talking about how, or she is, uh, Shulamith is, uh, that love is as strong as death. Now, why would she use death as an example of the strength of, uh, of love? Well, because uh, a love, death is final. You, you cannot stop death from happening. The Bible says there it is appointed unto man once to die. So I don't know when I'm going to die. But I know that when the time comes, if I were to have a heart attack or some kind of disease that was going to take my life, I could have a hundred doctors gathered around my bed and they couldn't do a thing to stop me from dying if it was my appointed time. It is irreversible and there's nothing nor anyone that can stop death from happening. Every one of you here today and everybody in the world will eventually die. All of us will walk down the valley of the shadow of death and there's nothing nor anyone that can prevent that from happening. It is impossible. Death is strong. True love is as strong as death in the sense that its power cannot be resisted. It, death never releases us and neither will love. Love never releases that on which it has fastened itself. That's why Jesus said that no one could snatch you out of the Father's hand. The love of God is more permanent and strongest force in the universe. True love cannot be broken and it cannot be resisted. True love never lets go of the object of its love. True love never says, but I just don't love him anymore. I just don't love her anymore. If you don't love him or her now, you never love them with true love from the very beginning. True love cannot be broken. Husbands, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 25, husbands need to remember that the word of God says, husbands, love your wives. The word love there is agape. It is a command of God not to be broken on the basis of absent feelings or a change of mind. Is that always easy or comfortable? No, it's not. But it is God's command and he says, love is as intense as the most vehement flame. Nothing can quench the pure love of God or that kind of godly love expressed between a husband and a wife. Now I want to give you a personal example of a couple in our church who demonstrates this kind of love. As I'm sure not just this one, but so far this is the only couple that's responded to anything that I've had to say and I promised them that I would leave it anonymous so that I uh, wouldn't want to embarrass them or anything but I got this in the, in the email this week and it's from, you know. 
And, and this, this wife says, I shared with you uh, that uh, from the sermon that I preached last week on the quest for the perfect mate, uh, some of the points that I had given said, does your husband speak tenderly to you? Does he give evidence of his loyalty to you? Does he express his love for you? And this is what she said. Well, I can testify that after a conversation we had, my husband certainly did all of those things. He had been talking about how strong we were together through some trials and hard times that we've experienced within the last few years and how we needed to continue to stay strong in our faith and bear with each other through it all. That conversation sparked these tender words from my honey about our life, his love, and his loyalty to me. This is what her husband wrote. Our life gets better every day. And our future together is so bright we need to wear shades. I love you. You are the butter in my cornbread. <laughs> you are the butter in my cornbread. <laughs> but then he went on to add, and if someone makes off with you, I will saddle up with biscuits, bacon, and bullets and come searching for you. You are mine. <laughs> uh, she said, be still, my heart. <laughs> it just don't get no better than that. He's not one to use fancy words, but that gave me the vapors. <laughs> I am the butter in his cornbread. <laughs> I love it. You may hear from that again. <laughs> That's... That's worth saving, folks. <laughs> now, that talks about stability and security and strength, man. You can't get any better. Butter in my cornbread. <laughs> All right, number four, love is stubborn. It is stubborn. He says in verse seven, many waters cannot quench it, nor will rivers overflow it. The idea connected here uh, is, is that love is like a, a flame of fire that no amount of water can quench it. I, I have seen in my lifetime many examples of this. A partner, maybe a husband or a wife, suffers an incapacitating illness, uh, have a stroke. Uh, they no longer can, can walk as they used to. Uh, they slur their speech. Uh, they're paralyzed on one side or one of them may have dementia, doesn't even know who they are, where they are or what kind of relationship. Some have Alzheimer's. They just forget things and yet the other partner loves them and stays with them and helps them and nurses them because they love them. That's the kind of sacrificial love that I'm talking about. That, that's something that true love cannot take away. It, 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 you just, you just committed to that person. You, you say in a marriage ceremony, for better or for worse? For better or for worse? <laughs> I remember, I think it's in uh, the, the Christmas uh, story uh, about um, the one that Jim Stewart starred in at the end. A uh, lady comes in with money that she's given to help him pay for the uh, money that people thought he had stolen. And she said, I'm going to give you the money I'd been saving up for a divorce should I ever get married. <laughs> uh, a partner may suffer from an accident, becomes totally helpless, 
but not totally alone or in need. I have seen love poured out upon those who have no mental or emotional ability to respond to that kind of love. There's no way that they can do it. But love is stubborn. It doesn't matter what happens to you. You're just going to say, well, it turned out to be worse than what I counted on it. No, that's not true love. You're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to stay with it. You're willing to stay put. You're glued together. I, I tell couples when I'm counseling with them that, you know, it's easy to, to get a divorce. All you got to do is get a lawyer and go to the courthouse, sign a piece of paper, and it's done. But you take two pieces of paper and let them represent two individuals. And you smear glue on one side of it and you put that other piece of paper on top of it. And those two pieces of paper become one. Now you can separate those two pieces of paper, but you cannot do it without tearing it to shreds. And the same thing is true about divorce. You can get a divorce, it's easy. A lot of people do it. But you cannot do it without tearing yourself to shreds emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. There will be scars there for the rest of your days. Think twice. Think three times, four times, a hundred times. Don't ever let divorce be a part of your, uh, your, 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 your talking, your conversation. Death maybe, but not divorce, okay? No, I didn't mean that either, okay. <laughs> it's sacrificial. Number five, number six, it's the, there's the self-control of love. Verses eight, nine, and 10. We have a little sister and she has no breast. Now, beginning with verse eight, I think the person who's speaking here is Shulamith's brothers. You go back and read chapter one. And uh, she makes reference to her uh, helping to keep the vineyard. And uh, that the reason why her skin is so tan, the Bible uses the word black, but I don't think she was black. I think she just had a dark tan because she had been out in the sun. She has just a deep, dark sun tan. Her skin has turned sand to a, a, a dark th a brown color. Uh, to, to refer to, uh, she said, we have a little sister. She has no breast. I think this is a reference to her childhood. Uh, she's just a child. Two, three, four years old, maybe five, six, seven, nine, ten, somewhere along with it. She's just a child. Uh, she's not developed in this way at this point. And so these are the little, as brothers will do sometimes, tease their sisters, especially if they're little sisters. We have a little sister and she has no breast. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? In other words, she's growing and she's grown. Now she's a lady. She's a woman, fully developed. So what are we going to do for her when that moment comes, when there's a young man comes along and she sweeps him off his feet and he proposes and he wants to get married? What, what can we do? And so it, they, they say in verse 9, if she is a wall, we will build on for her a battlement. If she is a door, we will barricade her. What is he saying here? Well, he's saying, uh, he's, she's talking about her virginity. And uh, they are saying uh, uh, her virginity is pure and, and, uh, and it's like a wall being around, build, built around her. 
And, and she is a virgin until the time she marries. And uh, if, if, and, and if there's a, a temptation, if somebody tries to molest her, rape her or some way, we'll stand up for her. We'll protect her. We're going to build a wall around her, a wall of protection around her. On the other hand, he says, if she is like a door, a revolving door where she's tempted to go out and, and, uh, and uh, have affairs with other people, then we'll barricade her. They take seriously, it is suggested, this would have been the father's role. Where's the father in this? It is suggested that maybe he's dead. And so uh, they're taking on the responsibility to, to protect their, they're saying, we're protecting our sister for the day that she will get married and, uh, uh, and uh, she, she needs to learn to control her urges, her desire. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make love. There's nothing wrong with having a desire for sex and so forth, so long as it is practiced and enjoyed in the bonds of husband and wife and in matrimony. Anything else than that is adultery or fornication uh, or homosexuality or whatever. It's not the way God intends for a, a, a couple or for a person, a woman or a man uh, uh, to, to have sexual relationships. And men, young boys, teenagers, college students, it is just as much an expectation from the scriptures for you to be a virgin as it is for the woman. And so you, you, you are to not, the Bible says when you commit a sexual intimate relationship of sexual intercourse, you become wedded to that person. You become a part of that person and it can never be erased. It can be forgiven. But it will be there forever. You will always have that memory etched upon your mind. And you, as a man, have just as much a responsibility to remain a virgin as the woman until the day you marry the person that God intends for you to have as your husband or as your wife. Amen? Amen. But notice what Shumaluf says. Look at verse 16. She says, I was a wall which means I kept myself a virgin. I have been a virgin all of my life until I married Solomon, until I married him. Once a couple is married, the factor of self-control is no less important. You're married, you've got a ring on your finger, you've got a commitment, it's more than a certificate or a license, and you have no right, you have no responsibility to go out on your, uh, and, and leave your wife at home and, and you go have a sexual relationship with somebody else that's not your wife. Nor you as a wife to go out and have a sexual relationship with some other man other than your husband. That is adultery, okay? And the Bible says in the words of God, you shall not commit adultery. Now that is stated negatively. Positively, it means this. You shall have a wife. You shall have a husband and you shall enjoy the sexual intimacy of husband and wife in that kind of relationship. And you are to control yourself of your urges. Paul says in the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians that if it was left up to him, uh, everybody would have a, a marriage relationship as he does. It's believed Paul was a, a bachelor. There's some question about that, but many people believe that he, that he was. And he says, I wish you were as I am. But he said that for the sake that you would burn, not burn in hell, but he's talking about that, that you're, you're just 
burning on the inside. You're wanting to have sex with somebody and it's just burning you up. And he said, to keep from burning up this way, you need to have a legitimate God-ordained way to express that urgency and it's called marriage. Let a person marry. Now, for those of you who are single, I, I, I need to come up with a message for you, I guess, in some way or another. But, but again, you need to be like Shumaleth. Build a wall. Build a wall. Keep yourself. God will have someone for you or he may have another plan for you altogether. But you're to keep yourself clean and pure. And then finally, selflessness. Verses 11 and 12. Solomon had a vineyard at Balaam Haman. He entrusted the vineyard to caretakers. Each one was to bring a thousand shekels of silver for his fruit. My own vineyard is at my disposal. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon. Two thousand are for those who take the care of the fruit. The vineyard that she's talking about, I think, is a reference to her brothers. That evidently, her brothers had leased from Solomon a vineyard. And they had been taking care of that, although she had also been given that responsibility. But now in verse 12, she says, I've got a vineyard, talking about herself. And she says, I've given my vineyard to you. She's talking about her, her marriage to Solomon. She said, I'm giving myself to you. I've given myself to you. Unselfishly, unselfishly. So the giving of oneself to another is the essence of what Paul said, love does not seek its own way. When we put our spouses first, we find the truth at the heart of Jesus is paradox, the last shall be first, and we must lose our souls to find it. Jesus said, if you would uh, follow me, take up your cross daily and follow me, so there's self-denial. And so I, I am not to lord the fact that I am my wife's husband or she's my wife. She's not to lord it over me. It's mutual submission. And, uh, and we belong to one another. And I am not to be selfish, to put demands on her that are unreasonable, or her on me, by mutual consent. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, that there's only one reason why a man, a husband and a wife should refrain from sexual intimacy is so that they can spend time in devotion and worship of God. Any other time, no bars. It's whatever the couple will in common consent, mutual consent, agree upon. And as often as you want to have sexual intimacy, it's between you and your husband. The only time that you are to deny your spouse of that is when you are in a worshipful, prayerful, uh, intimate relationship with God in your quiet time or in your worship and so forth of the Lord. Well, this brings me now to the conclusion. I must hurry because our time is up. But there's only one way, only one way that a husband and a wife can have this kind of relationship. And that comes from the power of God that comes and indwells us and that we possess. The love of God coming into our hearts that as Paul would say, that we ought to love one another as Christ loved the church and gave himself for that. Uh, Romans 5.8 demonstrates this kind of love, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God the Father loves us to the point of self-sacrifice. God sacrificed himself 
in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we might be forgiven of our sins. First John 3, 16 says uh, that we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And husbands and wives, we are to have that mutual commitment as well that whatever it takes for me to help my wife to be all that God intended her to be, for her to help me, to be my help me, to be my completer, uh, for her to do whatever it is necessary to help me to be all that God intends for me to be, that ought to be for all of us. And so let me come to the conclusion here and, and extend the invitation to you. And that is that God loves you with that same self-sacrificing love he demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. And if you're here today and you've never experienced that love in a personal way, you've never come to the realization of your sins and you realize now because hopefully the Holy Spirit has been able to take not what I have said, but what the scripture says about you and about Jesus, that you are a sinner and you need to repent of your sins and you need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and you need to pray and say to him, Lord Jesus, I know and confess to you, you are right. I am a sinner. And I know that I cannot be, do anything of myself to save myself. And so Jesus, I'm asking you now, come into my heart. I accept you. I make a commitment just like a man and a woman would make a commitment to one another to be husband and wife from this moment on. You're accepting Jesus to be your savior. And, and you're committing yourself to him as well as he is to you. A mutual submission, a, mu a mutual connection there. And you belong to Him when you accept Him as your Lord and your Savior. You're no longer your own. You, you can't just go off and do whatever you want. A person who says, well, I was saved when I was a child, but he's living a life like the devil. There's something wrong with his salvation. Either he's never been saved or else God's going to take him to the woodshed someday. May even kill him prematurely or her prematurely. God's not going to let his child go unpunished. If he professes to know him as Lord and Savior and he walks the way of the devil, God will take care of him. Don't you worry about it. His time will come. The point is, have you truly, sincerely loved God with all your heart? He does you. And he asks that you make it public, just like you put a wedding ring on your finger so that everybody in the world can say, he's a married person, she's a married woman. When you make public your faith into the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saying to the whole wide world, I choose Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. Let's bow together. Lord Jesus, I trust now, Holy Spirit, likewise, that you would speak to our hearts and minds today. Should there be one here today who's never trusted and experienced that love that passes all understanding, oh, Holy Spirit of God, take your holy word and make it real. Help them to understand beyond a shadow of a doubt of your love for them and of their need to trust you. Bless, Father, this time of invitation all to your will and all to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Andre's going to lead us, and as we sing and God puts it on your heart to come, please do so.